For GateWorld.net, I am David Reed, and I am here with the lovely Miss Andy Frizzle. Frizzell? Yes. It's Frizzell. It is. And I'm with also <laughs> with uh, Darren Sumner. Andy, welcome. Thank, Thank you for coming you. so far. Thank you so much for inviting me. Are you a fan of science fiction? Absolutely. Really? Yes. Yeah. So I really was so excited when I uh, was able to even audition for the show. I was like, I love this stuff. So sci-fi is definitely my favorite. Star Trekky, I am. Star Trek. Yes, yes. Any other show? Any other sci-fi? You know, shows? actually, I read a lot more. Really? Um, yeah, a, a lot of stuff when I was younger. So okay. I enjoy it very much. Isaac Asimov, Frank Herbert. Uh, Pier, is it Piers Anthony? Is that the name I'm thinking of? Um, more spidery stuff, <laughs> like spider aliens. But yeah, Piers <laughs> Anthony. I liked him a lot. Awesome. How did you first get involved with Atlantis? With Atlantis? Uh, through an audition. Okay. Yeah, I auditioned for the Wraith, and, uh, and that's how I got brought on board, as it had yet been born, right? Right. So, yeah, it was awesome. Whole new set of characters, whole new set of ideas and stories, so... Yeah, Did you awesome. see an SG-1? Yes. Okay. Oh, absolutely. I was a, you know, the movie fanatic uh, in the beginning and then uh, went on to watch the show for a number of years. So, okay. yeah, I love the show. What were your favorite aspects of that series? Uh, what I loved about it was when they traveled through the gate and you got to see so many different worlds. I think that's what's so awesome about sci-fi is that we have this one perspective of reality and they get to step through a gate and explore I mean, even Star Trek, you know, they go to these whole different worlds where they could challenge every concept that we have, right? Challenge eating, uh, physicalities, uh, sexual rituals, whatever it is, right? Everything. Everything. Um, one of the things I enjoyed the most about the element of Stargate is the religious aspect. Like when yes. they would go onto other planets or going to other worlds, is that there was a constant thread of spirituality, even though it was a different god or a different something was worshipped that maybe we don't have that uh, that worship here. But I, I really enjoyed that aspect very much. So we were talking with Brad Wright the other day, and he said that religion wasn't supposed to be a, a central. It was supposed to be a feature of the show, yeah. but how so many spiritual people get into the show because of the spiritual sides of it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you can't, I, as, as sci-fi as we could, hello, it's all good. Sounds like somebody had a good time. You must have been at the convention. <laughs> Sorry about that. So good. Um, yeah, uh, a thing about, you know, you can't, as much as our imagination has its limits, you can't make up an entire other religion. So even though the one thing may be featured, it's definitely part of a spirituality that we have here. Say like the uh, god Ra, yes. you know, that came from the Egyptian belief, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that people um, will watch the show that have whatever kind of spirituality to them can pick hey, that's sort of like my philosophy or my personal spirituality or something like that. Or so. even not, maybe I could learn something from that. Or you could, absolutely, absolutely. I know from myself, reading a lot of Clive Barker, even though Clive Barker isn't exactly, you know, up there with monks, he, he does, you know, he has a lot of spirituality that he writes about. So. Do the Wraith have a spirituality? I think they're beginning to, which I think is really exciting. And that's what's wonderful about playing the same race, but different characters of that race. <laughs> Hi, I'm somebody else. Um, is that 
you get to go on that journey with them mm. because in the first episode in the pilot we were this you know we were just unleashed we were a nemesis unleashed and you didn't know if we were going to be like the moths you know like just sort of annoying pests but as you can start to see the wraith developing and developing they have a consciousness what it's based on their own you know hunger or whatever but they have a consciousness and which I think is really exciting and as each season starts coming up more episodes come up you can start seeing them develop they're sitting across one of the episodes that I just shot was sitting across from food I'm having a conversation with humans and I'm like this is a very interesting aspect of the wraith we eat these things so imagine Imagine having a conversation with an apple before you're about yeah. to eat it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting that I think they do, and I think we're going to see, and you know, very excited to see where they go with this character, with this whole race. Yeah. What did the breakdown originally say about the wraith? What was your first information about them? The first information was more uh, physicality right uh just this is what we want them to look like which is an amazing um thing about being able to play a character that has yet been seen or uh like the show i mean going on to sg1 would also be very incredible they've explored so many planets uh but they have exhausted aliens in the sense they've had so many different kinds which well they didn't exhaust them you know what i'm saying and uh in the sense this was like a whole nother creature so it was like this is what we want you to sort of look like this is what you're going to be doing now go to it right there's nothing that you have limitation on other than your imagination right you can just play this race so that was basically the most information was very much the physicality how we wanted them to move Tell us when you first started filming for uh, the Atlantis pilot, how does the look of your character when you're there in full makeup and costume and the physicality of what this woman is, how does that affect your performance on the day? There is, I mean, I gear, I, I am walking at, at six foot one already, um, but as you slide into the costume and you begin to see the limitations of the cost, like not the costume itself, but the limitations of the wraith, yes. right? The wraith have certain visual, uh, they can see this way, that way, or they breathe, you know, they're breathing. Mm -hmm. Everything starts to, the teeth, you start to really begin to feel what it would to have this kind of physicality, and then you adapt that uh, my character was the keeper. So that, that, you begin to adapt that into and then have this high status that comes out of it. It's really interesting to be able to play with those characteristics versus, say, playing with language as an actor, playing with um, your situation. I'm, I'm a doctor, so I'm going to use the room to emphasize I'm a doctor. You have it right on your physical body that allows you to be not of this space. And, and I love playing within that. So I guess that, that would be a really long answer to your short question. <laughs> do you find the wraith to be beautiful? I do. Really? I do. I find uh, when I first cast for the wraith, um, I had been given a beautiful uh, hand paint. Uh, it was a, a painting. James of Robbins, his work. Um, 
It's beautiful, and I have it framed at home. Really? And uh, they, he painted that prior to me being cast for it. And so as I looked at it, I didn't see my character. I saw the beauty of the wraith as he sees them. And uh, I'm picturing it right now as I'm talking. It's, I find them very, very beautiful. Now, of course, there's uh, aspects, like just like humans. Humans can be beautiful and then have these aspects about them that are less beautiful. In contrast to that, do you believe that they are evil? No, I don't. You don't? No. Nope. Really? They're hungry. They, they feed. I don't believe that it's evil and I don't play it as an evil intention. There's manipulation to get the things that I want, but this is my race. I, this is what I was... It's like a snake bites and you say, is the, is the snake bad because it bit? Well, that's what the snake does. Right. So I don't believe they're evil. I don't want to be evil. I'm not. <laughs> I'm sure there's evil amongst our rape, for sure. But as, as we would have that peppered within humans as well. Mm, interesting. How many makeup passes were made on your face before they arrived at the product that Brad and Rob were satisfied with? Makeup passes uh, one, like, really. Oh, so they yeah, knew what like they were going to do when they put exactly you on. exactly what they wanted. I mean, it, it, um, since day one, it has evolved. Yes. Um, that would be more, instead of using silicone, we use foam now. Oh. Uh, foam. Yeah, it's, it's a quite, um, it has just a different texture to it. It's much softer. Uh, it's more, you can move it around a bit more. It ha and we're, they're just adapting the prosthetics to the needs, like if you watch the show, you can see that. Am I allowed to tell the secrets? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we no yeah. longer wear hands. We originally had very big gloves with very long, extended fingers, and those have have gone to the wayside now, uh, just for the purpose that the um, the hand, all this stuff, it can be shown. Do, do you know what we call that? No. Oh, is it <laughs> dirty? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's not dirty. Uh, <laughs> the wraith aren't evil. <laughs> They're not evil. Uh, they have a sense of humor. Um, yes, anyway, so, so it seems that it, it works much easier without these large gloves. Um, we had long fingernails. So things have adapted, um, but they, the wraith look the way that they looked in that original painting. Mm. I'd like to go in a similar vein with that for a moment. You have very unusual rings yes on your fingers and one extends i believe yeah yeah uh, they're um the pieces that we are is like finger armor now if you you would imagine that as you protect the the vital parts of your body that you want to wear protective gear like you would wear a harness over your heart or your well this is where we feed this is what we use to kill so you want to protect you know, with the armor, if someone severs the fingers off or cuts the wrist off, you've just lost... I mean, we have guns and we have all these other things as well, but this is really our primal... This is what we feed. This is what we, how we take care of ourselves, especially the queen. I've never had a gun, if right. you notice. In any of the episodes, I don't, I've never had a weapon save this. Um, that's... I have a... You know, every one of my prisoners, every one of... That's how I threaten them, right? This is so we protect it with the arm. Uh, so when the hand closes, yeah, you have protection. You don't want to get your fingers cut off. So. Awesome. Am I letting out secrets? No. Maybe no, you're all no, like, no. ah, 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 we got her. <laughs> no, no. I mean, this is very fascinating. 
Tell us about the typical makeup process for you from start to finish, if you could. What time do you arrive for application initially? Um, depends, of course, in the shot list, like where I'm shooting in the day. So if I'm shooting later in the day, I'm, allow I'm allotted to come later. But usually I've not been there past 6 a.m. I'm usually 4.30. Holy cow. 5 a.m., 5.30. But the, the prosthetics team that we have there are ever so dear to my heart. They're incredible human beings that at 4.30 in the morning we share donuts and Starbucks if they're open and they're so fast and so efficient and we get those masks on within like if we're first shot in the day we get those masks on within two hours and that's fully airbrushed, um, wigs, costume, like it's completely ready to go in two hours. They're amazing. How much input do you have on what goes on, like like the color of the hair or Myself, shades? none. Yeah, no, I just get to watch how the characters develop. Um, my input comes in, this is, this is where we're going, and you get to be you. You get to be the wraith, and where do you want to go? So my artistic speech comes in how I differentiate the level of authority in these characters with the same stuff that I the same costumes. So it's not really a, a I'm not with the artistic development of it, more of the character development. Okay. Of it. Yeah. The Wraith Keeper appears at the climax of the pilot episode of Atlanta, so she's very, very much foundational to this entire series and to the Wraith as a species. Mm -hmm. Take us back to uh, the set when you're, when you're shooting these scenes with actors like Joe Flanagan yeah. and Robert Patrick. What do you remember about filming that episode? Uh, I remember the days were very, very long. Uh, we had full prosthetics on and we were on set for 17 to, you know, 17, I think the most one day I was there for 17 hours. And it's a new set. Um, there was, it was quite, uh, there was a lot of dust. I remember that. But what I remember the most is from minute one to hour 17, everyone was so, the humor, um, everyone keeping, you know, right on track with everyone else, like it was a really, it's an incredible set. I love working with everyone that's there. Um, I, you know, Robert Patrick's cracking jokes and like, it's just, it's such a, it's a, you know, that's what keeps you going through the whole, the whole process of it. And then you see the product, right? And shooting when they say action to, to cut is such a small segment of what actually goes on on set, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember just the camaraderie of everyone, the, um, everyone's excitement about it you know we were discovering a new world brand new show a brand new show like it was it could go anywhere and everywhere and, and the talent the abundance of talent and all the actors that are there it was it was a really feeling of excitement a really amazing feeling of excitement even though the hours were so so very long yeah what was your original reaction to seeing yourself behind the keeper's face you know, uh, it's interesting because when you watch, when I see myself play a human character, you see an aspect of yourself. Yeah. Um, when you get to really completely remove yourself from visually uh, making that bond with your character, you get to see the character. And when the feedback first came back about the Wraith, uh, the Keeper, how scary she was, and I thought, not scary, you know? 
then I saw the keeper and she is very scary just that this is a whole new race we knew nothing about them at this point mm -hmm. and that it's scary it's scary, it's scary. and uh, and because I I couldn't make that connection with my physical self it was easier in a way to see the character to actually see the keeper so, so a little bit of a detachment there. there I'm no longer Andy I'm the keeper absolutely like you can play the keeper and yet still recognize or I wouldn't say the keeper but you could play other characters still recognize yourself in the character parts of you know physical parts of yourself when you don't have that you actually get to see the character, which was really interesting. What part of the Wraith makeup do you find the most unpleasant? The most unpleasant? It's so funny because I was just on set and I, I find the neck piece, because um, the, the, the mask goes around, it's a full neck. Wow. And yeah, it goes right down the, the collarbone and then over the head. And uh, I, am, I can't tend to be a, sort of a chatty uh, <laughs> jokester. And uh, <clears throat> when I laugh or do whatever I do, small back hairs get torn off because... Oh, <laughs> no. So <laughs> I'm like, that, that's the real, the strangest aspect is because it's all glued down. When you're like frown and, and parts of your shoulder, you know, shoulder, <laughs> you're like... Am I coming undone? Yeah, like it's because it's all glued together, so it all moves together, right? So that's an interesting aspect. But oh. I find if they could, if Todd Masters could, McMasters, Masters could make it any more comfortable. I mean, he would. Like I really don't find. Um, I wear contact lenses, corrective lenses myself. So putting the second pair of lenses on uh, sometimes can be irritating. But I, I don't find any parts of the costume to be unbearable. The teeth? You know what? I find them pretty fun. Uh, really? Talking to me sounds pretty funny. But uh, they've, again, those have morphed as well. Like, those have evolved. The teeth originally were very, um, I want to use the expression, Ferengue style. Like, yeah. really heavy Chisel. and big. And um, once they're in your mouth, they just fit on your teeth so there wasn't but there was the cumbersome you know you sounded yeah. like oh uh, yeah you know what is the female <laughs> so um but those have evolved now as well and they're much thinner much lighter so interesting yeah we learned in allies that there are actually multiple keepers mm -hmm. which was something that not many fans imagine because like 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 there was probably one queen probably one keeper but that's not the case yeah what sets them apart from the queens both in terms of duty and personality I get the feeling that to a certain degree they're a dead man switch for the hive ships yeah I think that um, what differentiates the keepers from the queens is that the queens have more of the how you would say like they the like the keeper protects, the keeper takes care of, more nurtures the mm. the hive itself, whereas the queen is in control of it. The queen is more based on taking care, or how do I, how do I want to say this? Like t 
taking care of the country versus like taking care of her hive, taking care of it, and moving them where they need to go based on her or based on what they need um, to feed, to, to relocate, to find whatever it is. Whereas the keeper was much more of that interim, uh, someone, okay, I designate you to watch us while we all sleep. And then you wake us up when it's time for me to be the boss, like when I need I to see. rule. Do you know, is that, is that where I'm, I'm so making... the queen is the president. Yeah, it's more yeah. of a sovereign, and her role is to, to really move the hive uh, in whichever direction they're choosing, whereas the keeper was more just about protecting them while they slept, you know, making sure nothing happened to them, making sure that... You know, they were that they woke up on time, that kind of thing. <laughs> time for <Yeah>. bed. <laughs> time to be bossy. Everybody up. You know, like something like that. So, wow. Yeah. Martin Giro. Yeah, excuse me. Oh no, that was my take on okay. mine. So. Martin Giro told us that some groups uh, of wraith had awakened and realized that there is enough food and are going back to sleep. Actually, mm. um, what is the keeper's purpose after the wraith are awake? Do they become obsolete until the next hibernation cycle, or do they continue to monitor the hive ship like Homeland Security would a nation? Yeah, I think it depends, like, where my understanding of it, too, is depending on whether uh, the hive moves, so that, they, that you have this, this is the hive, and the hive just goes where the food is, mm -hmm. the whole ship, because they are organic, and they are, right? So then the keeper's place would be within on that ship. Now, if you have hives moving, like me and my ten warriors are going to go out and find food and we'll come back, then the keeper's place is then again to watch the people, watch what's happening there, mm -hmm. keep, you know, just in the name, right? Keep the place, keep, like you said, watch the country while these are, um, other, uh, you know, the other parts or other people are, are <clears throat> the other parts of the wraith are out searching for food to bring back so depending on how they're going to develop that uh, and I, I would assume that as as diverse as each of the wraith hives have been then those roles are going to be different once they get there like you said the keeper will be looking after ones that are sleeping if that's that you know if that's what that hive has chosen to do or is gonna, you know, play a different role on a hive if, if the queen designates that that's what the keepers should do. The wraith have a very psychic communication network with, mm. with each other. Do the keepers have their own little level as to where, okay, when Shepard came and knocked on their door, when she was killed, apparently all the other keepers woke their hives up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do the, do the keepers have their own connection? Well, I would think that it's like, um, I mean, using the tele that that telepathy between the between the character uh, between the the wraith, that connection that they have is like uh, I would think like a phone, and so there's a signal that you know if I yell out help, right, that's going to alert other humans to come and save me, right? So if it, something happens to a keeper, that she lets out that one word. Mm -hmm. or the key word or the code more food found more food or you know uh, time to wake up or you know whatever it is right or so or even wakes up the hive like when she's being killed oh you think this is funny well mm -hmm. guess what I'm gonna do yeah you told me there's more food elsewhere yeah I'm gonna let others know yeah well that's not what happened right he didn't he basically 
she got killed and you know okay <laughs> you know right. we don't we don't know what she said like well in that we, context. the extent that they were aware enough to wake up because she had learned that there was enough food for them to do so. But that's what I'm saying. Like, she could, you know, she sent the message to, to her, you know, it's just basically to her hive to wake up. Whatever that alerted the other keepers. Oh, well, this hive's waking up. Keeper B just told me maybe we could wake up our guys, too. See what I'm saying? So it, I wouldn't say that there's, like, a special language between them. More perhaps a, like a, a signal that they, that's what they have entrusted with, right? Mm -hmm. So this is your secret mm -hmm. to, to let out or whatever. Have you been instructed to make each of these female wraith distinctive or did the producers let you approach it your own way? That's, they've completely let me approach it my own way. Really? Yeah, that's what I was saying before is that I don't have a lot of uh, say in aesthetically how right. the character's changing, right. but that it's, here you go. This is, this is your lines, go to her. And so I've been able to play with each one of the characters, which has been really exciting to be able to get killed and come back and again and again and, again and you get to be the same but not, you know? Right. So that's been really awesome. What distinctions have you made from the Keeper in the Hive to the Keeper in Allies? Obviously their color was extremely different. Yeah. Um, the the one in the original pilot. That was the yeah, keeper. Yeah, the keeper. And then this, there was the the queens. The, the, queens, the two. Did queens. I say keeper? Yeah, Excuse you did. Me. So I was I was like, <laughs> sorry. Um, so the, the 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 difference between the two queens is the original, the one with the white hair. Yeah. Um, I base her more militant, more military. She's got a mission. I'm not talking to you. This is you are a fly in the ointment of where I'm going. That she just had no, there was no talking. Whereas the second queen, I wanted to be much more, um, even in the color, she is mm -hmm. much more uh, pumpkin. And mm -hmm. uh, and this was something that I was, we were kind of joking about, is that she eats better than everybody else. And that's why she looked so good. <laughs> but she's getting tan and eating better. Um, so I took her approach to be, uh, what I, how I wanted to present her was much more, um, more behind the scenes, like trying to figure out, uh, much less, uh, more manipulative, mm -hmm. almost more uh, feminine, and you mm -hmm. see the character's physical, mm -hmm. physicalities have changed as well. She's much more feminine, uh, mm -hmm. and I wanted to play that way, mm -hmm. that kind of like, come here, sweet child, yes, you know, yes. uh, versus the second uh, ray, uh, queen, the first queen, sorry, was very militant, very let's get her done, I know what I want, shut it. Like, yeah, so you can, that's how I played them differently. With the queen and allies, it kind of touched on one of the things that I'm looking forward to in this species, in, in terms of the females. Mm -hmm. The wraith females you've played have been very straightforward in their malevolence, save for this last one. We really haven't seen them take advantage of their beauty. Mm -hmm. At some point, do you think we might see the queen or a keeper use seduction? to achieve their objective. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think when you, we originally sat down and started talking, that's um, part of the development of this, of this race, uh, is that we are seeing them less, we, we're introduced to them as a nemesis. They could, they could be a plague. For all anybody mm -hmm. knows, you've just woken up a plague, mm -hmm. right? And now we're starting to see, well, no, they have military, uh, 
you know, thoughts and, and they have evasive patterns of getting things. So, you know, in the second, uh, where the second queen play, like you can see that they're, right, you know, they are a little bit more developed. And then in this one, you see, wow, like there's more facets to them. They're manipulative. They can lie. They yeah. get what they want. They, right? Like they're starting to develop and develop and develop. So, absolutely. I think that's a love and war right exactly <laughs> so there is a seduction in that itself so yeah there's a, a very interesting new element that was introduced in season two's the hive where we see there are worshipers of yes. the ring yeah not just food but humans that they allow to live because they serve them in other ways mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that addition to the rape culture and your your perspective on it well i think you know in any culture that uh has it that's dominating you're going to have persons like that want to be um saved of 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 that like they have a, a quality of well I mean, you're God. I can't fight you. I can't, you know, you can come and find me. You can get into my head. You can yeah. pretty much make me do anything. Yeah. So you are, this This is again, we play again with the spirituality, right? Well, yeah. then you're a God. Even though, you, you know, you have within those gods their wars and their fights and all their little things that happen amongst them. But underneath, you're still superior to these humans. And they're like, I want to be saved by you, not to save my life, but saved for you. I worship you because you are higher than me, right? So I think it again, it's, it plays on that aspect of, of that kind of God-like uh, wraith, right? They, they really are all empowering until these earthlings come that are like, wait, we've evolved a subconscious, you know, we've evolved a conscious, we've, no, 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 no. The followers, I think, is really an interesting aspect, and I'd like to see how that plays, um, you know, as it, in allies now that there's going to be human race. Mm -hmm. I'd really, I'm very excited to see how that might work as human followers, human race, as then their gods have been brought yeah. down. Right, right. That could have a a great impact yeah. on the race because you know these are their food, and these are the race. What's this? And this? What's this? Exactly. Who's Michael? Yeah. Right? What does he... He's like a demigod, like a uh -huh. semigod, and he doesn't fit. So it, I think its storyline is taking a really interesting turn. I think it's a really neat way they're going, for sure. What, what does that do to the followers? Like, what, where's their line of define, you are here and I am here? Like... So I think it would be a really interesting place to go. He has no home because yes. he's not accepted amongst humans. And the Wraith aren't going to give him a, a second thought. No. So what is he going to do? And the followers and the, like, there's a whole... Yeah. It's going to be a really interesting character, Michael, I think. How, lo how well have you gotten to know James Lafazamos? Lafazamos. Oh, he's awesome. <laughs> he's awesome, awesome. Um, amazing, amazing individual. As, as the whole cast is, it's just, it's been a really great experience with everyone. James, uh, you know, him and I there, 4.30 in the morning. So, uh. you know, there's a different bond, obviously, with that. And, and when I say... I think I just tore off an eyelid, you know. He can say, yes, I think I did too, you know. Like, <laughs> there's the, the camaraderie the, within just that, right? Um, but an amazing individual, absolutely amazing human being. 
uh, vegetarian as well. Like really? we share the same likes in music. So yeah, it was really interesting. I have a funny story about meeting him. When we first got our contacts fitted, uh, I, I, have you met James? No. No? Um, well, I walk, I've been living in Vancouver for five years or whatever it's been. And walked into this eyeglass place and there stood a man who was one degree my brother by every shape, way and form. I mean, we look identical. And we both were like... Where have you been? Like, really? We, yeah, I've never seen him in, in Vancouver, and yet we have the same height, spatial structures. Um, yeah, it was really, really interesting to think, my God, where have you been? You look so freakily like me. I need to talk to my mom. Like, yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? But yeah, we look very, very similar. Same, similar bone structure, and so. I mean, a good cast, obviously, like the two of us to play these two characters, yeah. but freaky for us, like we were like, wow. Right, right. I understand you're a yoga instructor? I am, yeah. You are. Does any of your training complement or inform the movement of a female wraith? Absolutely. Really? Everything, yeah. The, um, when you start to change the physicalities of the body, then the... Um, the alignment of the body, the anatomy, starts to change. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it played a stronger role when I had really cumbersome hands, because you, your center of reach and these things change. And so, mm -hmm. with yoga, being able to ground and being able to find that place, um, and then move the body from that core spot. So, yeah, definitely, it's definitely played. And I can sit in meditation for long, long time while they play on your face, right? I'll be darned. <laughs> so, yeah, you can sit and be quiet for... I know it seems difficult that I can be quiet for any amount of time, but <laughs> yes. Well, in, in meditation, you're also composing yourself as well for this Yeah, character. and you just just chilling out in that space. So, I'm sure that plays... Uh, for me, it certainly plays a big part uh, of, of the patience that goes along with prosthetics mm -hmm. and, and being able to sit for that many hours and have people playing around you and you're just mm -hmm. not in a space of being bothered by it. So, um, a lot of alien shows have a lot of aliens that are very humanistic, right? And I think that by keeping everyone very much the same or all the race the same it's differentiating that race mm -hmm. we don't have names mm -hmm. we don't need names we no one talks to us we are superior to everyone you know so <laughs> we don't need a name uh, so I think it's a way of differentiating the rules of that society or the way that that society works versus say a human society yeah, where we're very individual, where we're very... I mean, these hives are moving around in course of finding food for the hive. You know, the queen's not looking out for herself. This person's not looking out for themselves. So it's... Um, I think that all of us looking alike is, is a way to differentiate, again, that race, that this is a different race. Uh, have you auditioned for any other roles on either Stargate show? Would you Would you like to get out there without all the makeup and prosthetics? I would. I would. It would. I think it would be very interesting to play, say, a scientist that's dissecting <laughs> myself. That would be. 
or maybe like a psychologist that's getting behind the rave mind. I think that would be fun. Freud would have a few things to say about <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. I think it would be really fun. I, I think it would be very interesting. And then in getting to play um, different roles, uh, human roles, and, and fighting the rave, I think would be a neat, a neat concept for me. Awesome. Sure. Do you have a message to viewers who are going to be watching you for hopefully, potentially, seasons to come. Keep watching. Uh, yeah. Love the show. Just love it. It's, it's, it's an amazing show. So, yeah. We need to be seeing you at conventions. That would be fun. I would like to get out and meet uh, a lot of the people that watch the show and get feedback. Even mm -hmm. just sitting here with the two of you, I'm getting to see what people are picking from the show. You know, like I said, what do I like about sci-fi? What do people like about our show? What's, why is Stargate on for nine years? You know, why has SG-1 lasted that long?